We're in a series uh, I mentioned earlier uh, called Advent Conspiracy. And uh, the reason we chose this name is because if you really look at the Christmas story, it's counterculture. It's not how you would draw it up for uh, the plot of a movie in Hollywood, how you could imagine the arrival of a savior or of a king. It's deeply counterculture. And our theme today in, uh, is um, following on the, the themes of our first two weeks from worship fully to spend less on the things that don't matter and more on the things that do. And our theme today is give more. When you think about your life and the things that you have, what's one of the, the hardest things to give to others? Now, now, maybe that depends on the season and situation that you're in. I remember there was a time uh, in my life where I was sitting in my room and I tacked my ATM receipt to the bulletin board in front of me and I said, it can't get any lower than this. I had 54 cents left in my bank account. So maybe for you uh, today, the hardest thing to imagine giving to somebody else would be money because you don't have a lot of it. Uh, Maybe it would be your possessions. Uh, Again, there was a time in my life where everything I owned, I could put into two duffel bags. And the thought of giving somebody something from the little I had was, yeah, that wasn't very appealing to me. I think oftentimes, though, no matter what season we find ourselves in, that sometimes the most difficult thing to give of is of our self. Our time, our listening, our caring, sometimes just our presence. Hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a, a Hebrew word which means God with us. God with us. And so when we think of who Jesus is, the incarnation of Jesus. It's God in the flesh. God's gift to us in Christmas is the gift of himself. And so as we think about the idea of giving more today, that's the umbrella that we, the lens, I should say, that we are going to be looking through this morning. So I'm going to pray for us before we jump into our scripture reading. Father, we thank you for um, the gift of friends and family And even in this season, we lament some of the brokenness that exists in our relationships. Friends that we once had that we no longer have. Loved ones that we once cherished that are either no longer with us or maybe even estranged. And it's in this season, this time, that sometimes those those losses are magnified. And it's hard to find joy and it's hard to find peace. And so, Lord, I pray today in this moment that we would have at least a moment of that, a moment of peace, that you could speak to us something bigger than ourselves, that you could remind us of who you are and who we are in light of your truth. That's our request this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in the, in the Bible, there's a, a division between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and what divides this book is the arrival of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give accounts of Jesus' 
life. And Matthew and Luke in particular tell of the, the birth of Jesus. It's important, though, to understand that there was, a, there was events leading up to Jesus' birth that influenced his arrival, or I should say influenced the impact of his arrival, and the needs of the people and what people were longing for. And as we just read a moment ago from the prophet Isaiah, there was this expectation that someday something would change. And so it's important to know a little bit of the culture. First of all, Israel as a nation has had its ups and downs. It's been occupied numerous times by the Greeks and by the Romans and by the Persians. It's had good leaders in its time and it's had bad leaders. It's currently in a place where it's under Roman occupation. And there's this hope, there's this anticipation that God might move, that God might raise up a leader in their culture. And as we read the very first account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Matthew, we see a genealogy of a king. The genealogy is of King David. You know him from David and Goliath fame. And this genealogy traces itself to, to Jesus' parents and to Jesus himself. And this family line includes leaders and kings, kings like David. But it also includes prostitutes and murderers. And there's this expectation that a good king is going to come out of this line of David. A savior will come. And this clues us into who Jesus will be. Jesus comes from the line of David, and he will bring God's favor back to Israel. And so Matthew opens with this genealogical account. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Matthew. It would be page 827 in your pew Bible. Matthew opens with, with this genealogy in the first chapter of the very first book of the New Testament. And genealogy in, in the Jewish culture in particular is very important because that identifies that you are from a place and that you belong to a people. And so this genealogy is laid out, and then the story of, of Matthew shifts a little bit. It shifts to this little couple. And so if you're open to Matthew chapter 1, let's look at verse 18 together. After the genealogy, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So when it says he was faithful to the law, in other words, he's faithful to living an upright, a moral life. He wouldn't marry somebody that's had a baby, not by him, out of wedlock. And so the, the Christmas story begins with a couple who are pledged to be married. And in Jewish culture, this is a little more serious than our Western idea of engagement. When you are betrothed or you're pledged to be married in that, in that culture, it's like as if you were already married. The commitment's there. It's going to happen. And this couple's name is Mary and Joseph. They, they hadn't slept together yet. This is pre-wedding in this part of the story. And Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now, whether you're married or not, you can imagine that would be a pretty shocking revelation. 
And finding out that your soon-to-be wife is pregnant without your help would be grounds for pretty severe punishment in that time and in that culture. Joseph could really ruin her life by taking a rightful stand in that moment. But we see that Joseph's a good dude. What Joseph does decide to do, as we just read, is divorce her quietly and to not make a big scene about it. Now, if you found out that your fiancé was pregnant with another man's baby, what would you say? In our day, I can only imagine how quickly the word would spread. But Joseph says to himself, "Ah, okay, I'm not going to get crazy. I'm not going to shame her. I'm just going to divorce her very quietly, and we'll both move on. So this is the, the crazy story, the crazy part of this Christmas story that's not often captured in our kids' books and in our nativity scenes, that the first part of God's story to save humanity starts in the thought to divorce. That sounds kind of like real life to me. But we read on, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We just read that a minute ago in the book of Isaiah. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So, so Joseph's pondering these, this thing. I, I, I'm engaged to be married to this woman, but she just informed me she's pregnant. I, I got to do something about that. I can't, I'm not okay with that. And then an angel comes to him in a dream, and he says, Hey, Joseph, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because of what's conceived in Mary. It's God's plan. And she's going to give birth to his child, and his name will be called Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. Now, let's be honest. This is pretty crazy for us to get our heads around. Think about Joseph, though. Trying to get his head around this. That something supernatural has happened. Joseph finds out that all of this is taking place to, to fulfill an ancient prophecy, an ancient scripture about a Messiah king. And we find out that a virgin will give birth to this king and they will call him Emmanuel. Joseph wakes up from this dream and I, and I guess... He decides in that moment, it's real. Like, it wasn't what I ate last night. It wasn't wishful thinking. This is real. And he decides not to divorce Mary, but instead to stay with her until the babies come. And now, at this moment in this narrative, the story widens. Because all of a sudden, this is not some ordinary pregnancy. This is not some ordinary baby. This is God. Coming in the flesh. But as much as it's not an ordinary pregnancy, can you pick 
a more ordinary way for God to reveal himself. If there is a God, why this way? Why not our caricatures of God, right? Thunderous, bearded man. Looks like Santa Claus for some reason all the time. Why not like Zeus with a lightning bolt? Why not with a majestic appearance in the middle of a town square? And yet, God says that this revelation of himself is the highest one that man will ever see of God. God as man. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. So in the past, God has spoken through prophets and through miracles and in many ways, but now he has finally spoken with Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's revelation. All the things before were just a taste of who he was. And so we have this reality of God with us, but in the form of a baby. This should draw some serious reflection out of us. That God would put himself at the mercy of a young girl and a new husband. That God would enter life as a human. God with us. So this is how the story starts. This is the Christmas story beginning. No reindeer, no snowmen, no thunder, no pillars of fire or plagues. Just the thought of a divorce, a dream, and a baby who is God in the flesh come to be with us. Emmanuel. It's, it's really a simple story, but with this supernatural twist. And just nine days out from celebrating Christmas, my kids are counting, I don't know if yours are, it should make us pause for a moment. This is how God arrived. And his arrival literally changed history. History is marked by his arrival. In recent years, we've, cultures tried to change it. They've added an E after B.C., BCE, but history is defined as before Christ and after Christ. This arrival changed it. Why is that? We get to ask the question, what would it look like if God came to earth as a man? And the answer that we get from that question is Jesus. The wonder of the incarnation, which is God coming to earth in flesh, communicates so much but at its core, it's answering a very simple and deep question that we all ask, whether you're a person of faith or not. We all ask this question, God, where are you? God, where are you? And God's simple answer through the story of Christmas is here with you. In this life, I'm not some far-off being. I am here among you. I know what it's like to be you in your humanity, in your joy, in your suffering. I know what it's like to live this life. And I want to be with you, Emmanuel, in this life. And it's a question every single person asks, has to ask, feels compelled to ask, and hopes to have answered in some way, God where are you? 
Are you there? Are you with me? And God answers very deeply through his coming. Yes, I am with you. And that's what God wants us to know. God longs for life to be lived with him. Not necessarily under him or for him or above him, but with him, in relationship with. And this revelation of God wanting to be with us, it does two things. It confronts the issues in our lives, and then it provides a way through those issues and through those questions. It can be really powerful and yet very simple when you are fully present to someone. It fulfills a deep desire of our heart, and so this idea of God with us, it it presses right on the very nature of who we are and what we long for. Think of a moment just for yourself uh, or a time or instance when somebody was fully present for you, fully there, engaged, involved in your life, where they maybe invited you into a moment and they were there for you. One of my earliest memories of as, as a kid was my dad worked for, in advertising, and he was a graphic designer, and he invited me to come to work with him one day. I was probably five, I'm guessing, and my memory's a little fuzzy, but I just remember sitting in his office all day, reading books and drawing while he worked in this little office, trying to make the most of the day, and yet I wasn't bored. I was with my dad, the one who I often only saw for a couple hours each night. To be with him in that moment meant so much to me, and it's why I think it's stuck in my head to this day. Every night when um, I, around 8 o'clock, and the kids are getting ready for bed, they hop into their beds, and I make the rounds. We have four kids to their bedrooms to pray for them. And uh, I realize that sometimes it becomes, things become ritualistic and kind of pat. I go in and often say the same prayer every night and pat them on the head, say I love you, and go out. Uh, recently this year, I realized, man, this is a moment for me to just be present with my kids. And so I've tried to, to add in time when I pray for them in the evening to say, hey, what was something great about your day? What was something challenging about your day? What was something you enjoyed today? Sometimes it's really simple, but sometimes I can see this, this expression on their face like, wow, Papa cares. He's present. He's here in this moment. We try really hard as a family to have family dinner every night. Not in front of the TV, but just present, facing each other, sharing stories. And, I, and listen, let's be honest. We all share the highlights of our life. There's many family dinners where there's tears and food's being thrown and kids are talking back, and it's not all beautiful. But there's a presence about it that changes things. So when it comes to the actual story of Christmas, one of the best ways to celebrate Christmas is to recapture the identity of God himself, God with us, Emmanuel, to give the gift of our presence, to be with someone. And so this year... As a church family, we've been trying to encourage each other to spend less 
on the things that don't matter and give more of the things that do. And you know what those things are, oftentimes? It's giving of ourself. This last week, I was confronted with my own selfishness and my own pride and insecurity and all these things that come up. Jessica and I are foster parents, and we, are, we already had a foster kid in our home, a little nine-month-old, and we got a phone call for a baby that needed to have emergent placement. And Jess calls me, and she goes, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but this girl needs a place to go, and if we don't take her, a social worker may have to stay a night in a hotel with her. And in, in, in a moment, if you've ever had these times where you have to make a decision kind of quick and you have all these thoughts running through your head, sometimes concurrently, and it's like, okay, we already have a nine-month-old. Let's add a two-month-old. Now where nobody's going to get sleep. Now all these things, you know, just all of my selfishness came out in just a moment. And I realized of all the things that are most important for this little girl is to have a place, just to have a place. And so it's hard to give of ourselves, but in the story of Christmas, it's exactly what God did. He came to be with us. And so one of the best ways that we can celebrate is by giving relational gifts. And so that's why in this season we want to give more. Specifically during this Advent season, we thought it might be a great way to remember God with us by trying to be more intentionally present. First to ourselves and then to other people. Let's say that again. Be intentionally present first to ourselves and then to other people. I'm going to ask this question. What was it like the last time you were present with yourself? Some of you are like, what kind of question is this? Where are you going, Andrew? Are we going to be doing like spiritual meditation and yoga next? No, what I, what I mean is, have you had a moment or several moments recently where there was no TV on, no radio on, no smartphone flickering in your face, where you were just present with yourself? We have auto responses, right? I get in the car, I turn on the radio, boom. Don't even have to think about it. I have a moment of nothing to do. I pull out my phone. I start endlessly scrolling through nothing. When was the last time you were present with yourself? We've made it so we don't actually have to even think about how we're feeling because there's something that will emote that for us, that was something that will dictate how we're feeling, whether it's a social media app or the news or music. I don't want to feel anything, so I better... Find something to feel for me, to dictate how I feel. For us to be fully present with others, we also need to be how, know how to be fully present just where we are. Technology is making it easier and easier to be present, but not to be with. To be someplace physically, but not there emotionally or mentally. We're halfway present, being present with our body, but not with our whole relational selves. It's not unusual to be in a crowd full of people and for everyone to be distracted in their own world on their phone. 
How many times do I go to meetings, and I'm confessing this, and sit down in a meeting, and everybody does one thing, pulls out their phone, sets it on the table. And what we're essentially doing is we're saying, at any moment, I might be disrupted by this thing and its priority. And I'm speaking to myself here. Picture this, a beautiful sunset. You're at the ocean, and the sun is setting, but you can only enjoy it for a second because your next thought is, I better take a picture of this. I better, tell, I better share this with the world through my social media account. Picture this, the fleeting days of seeing your son and daughter discover the world. When you have a baby, Christian and Lynette can, can relate to this, every day something new happens. Now, nobody else notices it, but you do. Oh, my gosh. She moved her pinky finger on both hands. <laughs> and yet, in our current day, we're missing it. I go to parks and I see kids playing, enjoying the outdoors and life and their friends, and not one parent is watching. I, I, I've really appreciated recently, we didn't have to think about this 15 years ago when Jessica and I got married, but that a lot of weddings now will say, no phones, please. I want, we want you to observe this beautiful moment, this history-changing moment in our lives without the lens of a device. Just be present. So I, I, not to get all anti-phone, but it might be a good way to celebrate God with us to try being more by ourselves and with others by doing some sort of fast. Now, oftentimes you talk about fast, you think of food, but maybe you need to fast from your phone. Or maybe some apps on your phone need to be deleted. Try it for just a week from now through Christmas. Turn off your social media apps or have a spot that when you get home, you put your phone there so you're not distracted. Do whatever you have to make it so that you can be fully present. And each time you're about to reach for your phone automatically without thinking it, instead spend a moment in reflection or prayer or ask your friends or spouse a question. Hey, how was your day? Or play, or cook, or talk, or run. Just don't be alone with your phone. Try and be with. I encourage us all to use this time remaining between now and Christmas to brainstorm some relational gifts that we can give to each other. As we spend less on the things that don't matter and more, give more of the things that do. So maybe for you it's not the phone, maybe it's the TV or work that doesn't need to be done right this moment. But I want to invite you to stop and to celebrate God with us by being with each other and being with him. Very simply, to celebrate the Christmas story of a God who is with us. And you may find that giving in this way, giving of your time is hard. Oh, but it's so worth it. It's so worth giving of yourself to others. If you're not sure about the whole story of Christmas, not sure if God did all this, then let me share you, with you one thing as we go. This whole thing, this whole morning, it's a continuation of the incarnation of Jesus. Because he's not here anymore. 
Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven. But what this is this morning, this is a continuation of his being with. God now chooses to make himself known through us, through his family. And as miraculously as Jesus appeared on that night 2,000 years ago, he will be back one day. Just as the prophecies hundreds of years foretold and he arrived, there is a promise of his return. But in the meantime, we're in this second season of Advent, this second waiting. And in this one, we live out the reality that Jesus' arrival brought on that first Christmas. And we invite you to receive the gift he came to give and still gives now. And that gift is new life. It's the answer to the question, God, are you there? And God's answer is a resounding yes. God is still with us, and he wants to make himself known to us today. And so we're going to take a moment to be with, to be with ourselves in just a moment of silence, and to be reminded that God is with us still today. Would you bow your heads with me? And we'll wait for just a moment. God, some of us don't even want to ask the question if you're there. Some, uh, some of us ask but don't actually want an answer or are not willing to listen. Some of us desperately need to know. You know our hearts this morning. You know what we need. I think we can all agree that we need a little bit more presence in our life. We all need a little bit more margin, Lord, to just be. Help us to have the, the strength and the desire to, to be that for others. To give of ourselves in this season, Lord. Such a greater impact than any present, than any monetary gift. It's what we're wired for and what we need, Lord. To be known, to be loved. Thank you that you knew that about us, and that's why you came. And that you didn't leave us alone. You left your Holy Spirit that indwells all of us that follow you. Help us to be an embodiment of, of your heart, Lord, to those around us in this season, to be with. Thank you for your love for us. Your love that came down, and that we celebrate in this season. May it continue to transform us, little by little, step by step. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.